Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for being here today. Now, all of us here at Open Your Eyes are avid podcast listeners. And over the years, we've learned and grown by being part of a unique podcast community that is dedicated to helping each other improve and grow. This podcast has become a regular weekly stop for thousands of people who want to make good use of their time and listen while they're driving or exercising or at home preparing for the day. So if this is you, then I hope today you'll hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get the next podcast as it's released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about living above the line. Now, if you travel just a few minutes north from Lake Forest or east from Irvine, California, you'll find Whiting Ranch Wilderness Park. Surrounded by several towns with sizable populations, the Wilderness Park is 2,500 acres of canyons and rolling grasslands. The park has 17 miles of trails, making it a perfect place for Southern Californians to escape for hiking or mountain biking. A few years ago, on a brisk January day, Ann Hilla, a five foot four inch retired Marine, and her friend Debbie Nichols were enjoying a day of mountain biking, something they'd done dozens of times. Ann was nicknamed Top Sprocket because she was a tough and tenacious athlete and trainer. That afternoon, as usual, Ann was riding out in front and Debbie was pedaling fast to keep up about 30 yards behind Anne as they darted up and down the hills and around the winding turns. As the ride was nearing its end, Debbie was descending down a steep incline when she heard Anne screaming in front of her. As she came around a turn, what she saw sent a shockwave through her entire body. A huge male mountain lion had leapt onto Anne's back, knocking her off her bike, and had locked its huge jaws onto Anne's face and neck and was attempting to drag her off the trail into the brush. Now, with human population approaching into lion habitat, mountain lion attacks are becoming more and more common. There are an estimated 30,000 mountain lions in the western United States, and mountain lions are powerful animals. An adult lion can weigh up to 180 pounds, and can leap as high as 15 feet in the air and as far as 40 feet forward. They can run 50 miles an hour, and their long teeth are several inches in length. Their bite will crush the skulls and spine of deer at a force of over 350 PSI. Now, the typical way they kill their prey is to grab hold of their neck, and if they can't break their neck, they then choke them until they die. And hikers and bikers are killed by mountain lions. In 2018, Diana Bobber, age 55, was killed by a mountain lion in Mount Hood National Forest. And just a few months earlier, S.J. Brooks was killed by a mountain lion in North Bend, Washington, while biking in the foothills. Well, on this day in Southern California, faced with the horrifying sight of her friend in the lion's death grip, Debbie picked up her bike and threw it at the lion. It didn't even phase him. So she lunged forward and grabbed Anne's legs and started a tug of war with the lion, with Debbie pulling on Anne's legs and the lion clamped around the left side of Anne's face and neck. 
and the tug of war continued for what seemed like an eternity. Debbie was screaming at the top of her lungs, and the mountain lion was undeterred. In fact, the lion was winning, dragging the two women down into a ravine. After a few minutes, locked in the exhausting struggle, Debbie knew Anne would soon die in the jaws of the feline killer and was about to do whatever she needed to do to get the lion to release its grip. Just then, two bikers arrived and began throwing rocks at the lion, and one large rock hit the lion's back, and he released his grip from Anne's face. Anne was then immediately taken to the local trauma unit. She had several injuries to her neck, and the entire left side of her face had been torn off. She would endure six hours of reconstructive surgery and deal with the disfigurement for the rest of her life. What the two mountain bikers didn't know but would soon learn is that they were not the only victims that day. Mark Reynolds had been riding nearby in Whiting Ranch earlier in the day, and his chain on his bike had broken, and he had stopped to fix it. Nobody knows when the lion attacked Mark, but after killing the lion, authorities found parts of Mark's lung and liver in the animal's stomach. And because the lion had dragged Reynolds off the trail, his body went undetected for most of the day. Now, when reflecting on that day, Debbie said she had to choose. She drew a line in the dirt, so to speak, and said to the lion, you will not take my friend. No matter what, she was going to get that lion off of Anne if she had to pry its mouth open herself. She said she didn't know she was that strong, but she fought a lion and won. And the truth is, we face many lions, so to speak, in life. Times when we must stand up and fight. Times in which we have to be tough. Times in which you stand, draw a line in the sand, and say, I will live on this side of the line. You never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. This is what happened to Wendy Wallace. She was a happy mother of two, business owner, and cancer survivor. Her life was normal. Her son was getting ready to graduate from high school, and her daughter had just gotten her driver's license. But on one spring day, she started not feeling very well. At first, she thought she had the flu. She felt under the weather, so she went to bed early. Wendy was tough. She was a breast cancer survivor, and she wasn't about to let a simple cold or the flu keep her down. But the next morning, her symptoms were getting worse. And by that night, her fever had reached 104 degrees, her legs were swollen, and she was too weak to walk around the house. At her husband's urging, they decided to go to the emergency room. It was Saturday night, and at first she didn't want to be a bother, but her husband insisted. So they helped her into the car and started the 30-minute drive. Just minutes into the drive, Wendy started struggling for breath. Michael, seeing she wasn't breathing, pulled over and called the ambulance. Luckily, the fire station was only one mile away. So the EMTs arrived quickly, but when they arrived, they could see they had a battle on their hands. They were able to keep her alive until they arrived at the hospital. And at the hospital, doctors quickly determined that her kidneys had failed. And for 16 hours, the doctors fought to keep her alive and to figure out what was going on. Finally, one doctor determined that a bacterial infection was releasing toxins, which were breaking down her muscle and skin tissues. The infection was necrotizing fasciitis. This rare bacterial disease most commonly enters the body through cuts and scrapes or insect bites. And each year, about 600 cases are diagnosed in the United States, mostly in adults. 
and necrotizing fasciitis spreads quickly and attacks soft tissue and organs. Sometimes it's called a flesh-eating disease. Now, Wendy was immediately life-flighted to Dartmouth Medical Center, and of the three weeks she spent there under sedation, Wendy has one clear memory. They woke her to tell her that they had already removed a portion of her leg where the infection had started, and the toxins had pooled in her hands and feet. She looked at her hands, and they were black as charcoal, and the doctors wanted her permission to remove all of them to save her life. Can you imagine? She said that she was terrified. She even quietly wondered briefly, was it worth living without any hands or feet? But then her fear turned to focus, and she knew she had to live for her family and her children. Well, Wendy did in fact lose her hands and feet. Today, she's a fully functioning mother and has prosthetics for her missing feet. And she told me everything changed for her on that spring day. But what has changed is her children have stepped up to help her, her family's grown closer, and Wendy lives with courage above the line every day to do the things that you and I take for granted. Now, few of us have ever had our head in the jaws of a lion or fought skin-eating disease in the face of death, but many of you have fought bravely to reach a goal, to overcome a weakness, to forgive another person, to work when you didn't want to work, and these are not light matters. Strength of any kind, faith of any kind, courage of any kind matters. I call this living above the line. You see, there's a thin yet well-defined line that separates our extraordinary life from the ordinary life. On one side, above the line, is the extraordinary part of you, and on the other, the mediocre part of you. Below the line is excuse-making, fear, lack of clarity, doubt, an attitude of helplessness. Below the line is where life presses upon you, and this depression can be a heavy burden. Few people live above the line because it looks like work. It seems to be harder. But above the line, we're strong. We believe. We have faith that our goals, our hopes, our dreams can and will happen. And if you think about it, we have many types of lines in our life. There's an imaginary line drawn between Mexico and the United States or between one state and another. And we identify with or try to live on one side of the line. We draw lines in terms of our morals. We won't step over the line to do something offensive. We draw lines in terms of our affiliations. Green Bay Packers fans draw a line between them and the Minnesota Vikings, right? And there is a line drawn in the way we choose to live our life. When people or teams find themselves thinking and living below the line, you hear lots of blaming, you see a lot of procrastination, and experience lots of mental and emotional fatigue as people go about living their life. And often there's emotional drama and fault-finding and lots of justification below the line. You know, not long ago, a team I was leading spent a significant amount of time talking about what was important to us. We talked about our values and our goals and our aspirations, and we decided on what behaviors reflected above-the-line living and team building. And soon, our language changed. When we were working or managing, we just had to ask if the behavior or activity we were engaged in was above the line. And we all knew what above the line meant. It was a great help to us in leading ourselves to a higher level of performance to define what was above the line 
and below the line. When you live above the line, I don't know why, but you feel good about yourself. It's hard work. You understand that you may try and fail, yet you try again because above the line living is living as though everything is a miracle or everything is a possibility. And above the line, you accept responsibility and do what needs to be done. Above the line, you act. Below the line, you react. Above the line is positive, the other negative. Above the line, courageous, the other fearful. Above the line, generous, the other selfish. Now, I know people who are above-the-line people. They have faith in life and in themselves and in the possibilities that are ahead of them. And they stay focused on the vision that they have for themselves. You see, this is a gift only the human race possesses. Animals don't have this gift, but you do. You can visualize a future for yourself and team and family, and your mind is capable of seeing things that aren't yet true. And that's what above-the-line living is. Albert Einstein said there are two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle, and the other is though everything is a miracle. And I think he was describing the difference between above and below the line. People who live above the line see miracles in their life. You see, there's just a different air you breathe when you're above the line. The air is cleaner, the view broader, and the road a lot less traveled. Because the truth is, not many people live above the line. And I'll bet if I asked you to think today about someone you know who lives above the line, you could probably name their name. So, how do we live above the line? First and foremost, faith. Faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And that includes the confidence in who you are and where you're going in life. I wish there were a better word to describe this above-the-line faith, but it is a firm belief on your belief window that you can become someone and something remarkable. And once this faith is acquired, you live, you act, you strive to be in line with that faith. Years ago, I met a young man named Jake Olson. We were speaking at the same event, and everything about Jake caught my attention. Jake had lost his sight at the age of 13. And he was only 16 years old when we met, but I asked him, what was his driving force? And in reply, he quoted a scripture, and I was surprised. It was from Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I was taken back by his faith. He just acted and talked and lived like God had an amazing plan for him in his life. And despite being blind, he wanted to be a pro golfer and a business leader. So I felt inspired to get to know him, to help him write a book, which we did, to help it get published, which we did, and to help him start his speaking career, which we did. And we were asked to speak together at a convention for a pharmaceutical company in Southern California. And at that event, in attendance, was a representative from the TED Talks initiative. A few weeks later, he reached out to us to ask if Jake could come be part of a TED Talks event in San Jose, California. Now, speaking on a TED Talk stage and getting his message on YouTube would be a huge help to Jake. It could mean the difference between a successful speaking career and book sales, or not much of a career or sales. Now, if you've been asked to give a TED Talk, which I have, you soon find out that they insist on seeing your script, approving it, 
making changes and coaching you. Our TED Talks representative was quite heavy-handed in telling Jake what he could say and what he couldn't say. So after submitting the first draft of his TED Talk, the TED Talk rep came back and told Jake he could not use the word God or speak about his faith in the talk. Jake listened to the representative and then politely said, if I can't talk about God or my faith, then I respectfully decline. And he walked away from TED Talks. Now, Jake would go on to become the first blind football player to ever play in an NCAA football game. He became a long snapper for the University of Southern California Trojans. He graduated from college and has started his own business. And he never gave TED Talks a second thought. He knew who he was. I learned a great lesson from Jake. Have faith to live in accordance with your vision for life. Live above the line. Stand up and be who you know you can be. Jake's strength reminded me of Billy Graham. Several years before he passed on, Billy Graham was asked to give a TED Talk on technology. You can imagine how out of place I feel. I feel like a fish out of water. That was how the Reverend Graham began his TED Talk. He was almost 80 years old at the time. Let me give you a few excerpts from his talk to these technology experts. He said, Have you ever thought about what a contradiction we are? On one hand, we can probe the deepest secrets of the universe and dramatically push back the frontiers of technology, as this conference vividly demonstrates. We've seen under the sea, three miles down, or galaxies hundreds of billions of years out in the future. But on the other hand, we can't get along with other people. We find ourselves in the paralyzing grip of self-destructive habits we can't break. Racism and injustice and violence sweep our world. I would like to see Oracle take up that or some other technological geniuses work on this, he said. How do we change man so that he doesn't lie and cheat? And our newspapers are not filled with the stories of fraud in business or labor or athletics or wherever. Then Graham got bold and he said, you see, the Bible teaches that we're more than a body and a mind. We are a soul and there is something inside us that is beyond our understanding and yearns for God, something more than we find in technology. As Graham spoke, the room was watching attentively. This was a place where no one spoke about God, at least as directly as Reverend Graham was speaking. He went on. He told them about Blaise Pascal, who in the 17th century was called the architect of modern civilization, a brilliant mathematician, as close to a technologist as you could get in his day. And Graham said that Pascal was astounded that people could achieve extraordinary heights in science and the arts and human enterprise, yet they're also full of anger and hypocrisy and self-hatred. As he grew older, Pascal refined his faith. And on November 23rd, 1654, Pascal wrote in his journal these words, I've decided to submit myself absolutely to Jesus Christ, my Redeemer. Now, Pascal would pen what is famously called Pascal's Wager, which says, if you bet on God and open yourself to his love, you lose nothing, even if you're wrong. But if instead you bet that there is no God, then you can lose all in this life and the life to come. Now, what I learned from Reverend Graham's TED Talk was not that we should believe in God or Christianity. That's not my message here today. But rather, we should stand up, speak what we know, and act with faith. Graham knew who he was, 
And he wasn't about to be subtle about his message that day. He spoke directly to these scientists, and he did what he felt he was called to do. He ended his message, by the way, with this. He said, when I was 17 years of age, I was born and reared on a farm in North Carolina. I milked cows every morning, and I had to milk the same cows when I came home from school. And there were 20 of them that I had that I was responsible for, and I worked on the farm and tried to keep up with my studies. I didn't make good grades in high school. I didn't make them in college until something happened in my heart. One day, I was faced, face to face with Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you imagine that? I am the truth. Now, either he was a liar or he was what he claimed to be. Which was he? I had to make this decision. I couldn't prove it. I couldn't take it to a laboratory and experiment with it. But by faith, I said, I believe in him. And he came into my heart and changed my life. And now I'm ready. When I hear that call to go to the presence of God, and Billy Graham ended his TED Talk. Now, here's my point. Graham lived above the line. He spoke from a place above the line. Right or wrong in his beliefs, he worked, labored, and lived above the line and in line with his prevailing beliefs. And whatever beliefs you hold about life, yourself, your future, or anything else that you've placed above the line, whatever your vision of who you want to become might be, don't back down. Don't run in the face of challenge. Be bold. Be willing to say what you need to say and do what you need to do and be who you know you should be. Now, perhaps you know you were meant to be an example to your team of how to live positively, live above the line. Perhaps you've decided to eat clean and exercise, live above the line. Perhaps you've decided to become best in the world at your chosen profession. When the challenges come, and they will, live above the line. Now, here's the second truth about living above the line. There is more above the line. Sometimes we feel it. We imagine it and yearn for it. We have the sense that there's more that we're meant to be. Call it destiny or just the sense of excellence. There is a magnetic pole of sorts above the line. In 2019, the U.S. Tennis Association unveiled the statue, only the second monument to a tennis champion at Flushing Meadows, the site of the U.S. Open. The monument was to the first African-American woman to win Wimbledon, the French Open, and the U.S. Open. She won 56 national and international singles and doubles titles. She was also voted Female Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press and has appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated and Time magazines. Who am I talking about? No, not Serena Williams or Venus Williams, but rather Althea Gibson. Gibson was born in 1927 in South Carolina, and her parents worked as sharecroppers on a cotton farm. A few years later, her family moved to New York City, and she would begin to excel at sports. And despite a rough childhood and spending time living in a protective shelter for abused children, she would take tennis lessons in Harlem. And soon, her talent attracted others who would help her. In 1940, a group of neighbors took up a collection to help pay for a membership at the tennis club. And once there, a prominent physician in the community began to help her with paid sponsorships. But as good as she was, to qualify for the national championships, you had to accumulate a certain number of points throughout the season. And most of the points were earned 
at tournaments held at white-only tennis clubs. But over time, year after year, Althea became more and more a champion. There was a pull, a sense of possibility, she said, that followed her. Finally, in 1956, 16 years of living above the line, she won the French Open. The next year, Wimbledon, and then she went on to win the U.S. Open. The president of the U.S. Tennis Association would later say, every time a black child or Hispanic child or an Islamic child picks up a tennis racket for the first time, Althea touches another life. Today, some 30% of tennis players are minorities. Now, when describing life above and below the line, Althea said, the loser is always a part of the problem, and the winner is always a part of the answer. The loser always has an excuse. The winner always has a program. The loser says it may be possible, but it's difficult. The winner says it may be difficult, but it's possible. Above-the-line living requires the most remarkable you possible. And excellence, or striving to be the best at something, is life-changing. It causes you to stretch, to imagine, to have faith, to take criticism, to try and fail, and see yourself in a different way than you are today. Recently, I added two words, hyphenated, to our company mission statement. It wasn't a popular addition. And there were some in the company who disagreed with it, but it was definitional, and it has been a source of productive discussion ever since. I added the words world-class to describe the type of experiences we are seeking to provide our guests. Is it possible to think that we could be best in the world at what we do? Well, Paul Arden once said, it's not how good you are, but it's how good you want to be that matters. And I agree with him. He said, everyone wants to be good, but not many are prepared to make the sacrifices to be great. The truth is, you will become who you really want to become. Likewise, I feel that our organization can be the best in the world at what we do, and it will require a different mindset and perhaps talent and effort. Oh, what a journey it will be. I also believe the same about you. It may require you open your eyes to a different mindset that you fail, that you strive and fail and strive again to make your vision a reality. But, oh, what a different person you will be when all is said and done. Nothing is impossible. You know, Billy Graham was asked at the age of 80 what the biggest surprise was in his life. And he responded, the brevity of it. Life is short. You have the opportunity to be great, to be best in the world, on your team or in your industry. But there is little time. Don't live one more day below the line. Decide today and every day to live above the line. This is how you open your eyes to who and what you can become. Start living where you're supposed to be. And remember this, when you're in the fight to be a champion and you're tired and seeking a miracle, sometimes you have to fight one more round. You have to get up off the bench and step into the ring and punch away at that habit or diet or job or business one more time. But it's in that round, the one you don't want to fight, where you and champions are made. The greatest fighter of all time, Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. And I said that even before I knew I was. I think the same is true of you. You know, even before you speak it, that you are destined for greatness. Maybe not at tennis or boxing, but greatness on your team, 
greatness in bringing optimism and positivity and possibility to others around you, greatness in teaching, greatness in serving, that you've set a goal and you're going to do whatever it takes to reach that goal. Perhaps your goal is to advance your business this year. So reach up above the line to greatness. Remember, below the line is full of excuses and there are no excuses above the line. In my observation, more and more in our society today, fear is becoming a deterrent to action. We hear a voice inside our head saying, don't make a mistake or don't risk it. It might not work out or what will people think of me? And for whatever reason, we're often filled with the negative programming that keeps us from stepping above the line to take control of our life and step out of our comfort zone. This way of thinking, this fear is below the line living. But those who live above the line accept full responsibility. They understand that they may fail and fail and fail again. But each time they're becoming a little bit better so they can become best in the world at what they do. Now, most of you have read the book Good to Great. And the author Collins and his team of researchers found that great companies, those who were best in the world at what they do, found their hedgehog concept. You see, in his famous essay, The Hedgehog and the Fox, Isaiah Berlin divided the world into hedgehogs and foxes, based upon an ancient Greek parable. The fox knows many things, it says, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. A hedgehog concept is more than wanting to be the best. It's having an understanding of what you can be the best in the world at and how you find it. And Collins says it's at the intersection of the answer to three important questions where you find your hedgehog concept. Those three questions are what you are deeply passionate about, what drives your economic engine, and what you can be best in the world at. So let's say you're a mom and you want to be remarkable in your motherhood. Well, answer the three questions. What are you deeply passionate about? Perhaps you want to raise tough, not coddled kids. What drives the economic engine? And we're not talking about money in economics. Economics is production. So what helps the effectiveness of your motherhood most? Well, perhaps your answer is time with your children. And then what can you be the best at? Well, perhaps you're a great questioner. And rarely, if ever, do you tell your children what to do, but seek to inspire them to choose well. The intersection of these three things is where you become great. My point, when you live above the line, you seek to become great. And when you do that, life will repay you accordingly. So as we end today, remember, no matter what you face or struggle with, live above the line. Yes, lions and disease and discouragement and temporary failure can keep you from becoming who you were meant to become unless you stay bold and strong and live above the line. Like Reverend Graham, be true to who you are. Be bold. Declare your intentions to life and live above the line. Keep the faith and don't let anyone keep you from being faith-filled in striving for what you know you can do. Remember, when you're tempted to complain, live above the line. Thinking about making excuses? live above the line. Want to become extraordinary? Live above the line. And watch what remarkable things come your way as a result. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.